The most connected man in Washington, WSB's Jamie Dupree. He's on every day with Herman Kane, 1106 a.m. every day. Sponsored by Charter Communications on News 955 and AM 750 WSB. We are America. One voice, united we stand. We are America. We are the greatest nation in the world. A breath of fresh air. Common sense. Very impressive. He's articulate and he knows exactly what we need. Herman Kane. Herman Kane. Solutions for a better America. This is your host, Herman Kane. Thank you for joining us. Because we are going to tell you the truth. We're going to give you the facts. We want you to be informed and inspired to help make this a better America. Breaking news, breaking news every day with Herman Cain and the most connected man in Washington, Jamie Dupree. Hello, Jamie. Hey, Herman, how you doing today, buddy? I'm doing good. Let's start with the Republican budget blueprint. First of all, uh, that's just the starting point. I presume that the hard work, the heavy lifting, is filling in the details. Is that right? Yeah, you're absolutely right. Uh, For the first time yesterday in six years, since 2009, the first year of the Obama administration, Congress has approved what is known as the budget resolution, the non-binding document that is a budget outline, a budget blueprint. So Republicans have pushed through their plan that sets the basic outline for what they want to do with the budget. It would balance in 10 years. So not immediately. It would take a long, long time several more presidential elections before we get to that. But they've done that. And remember, they were uh, very, very critical of Democrats a number of years when Democrats didn't even bring forward the budget resolution. So they've gotten that done. But you're right. The next step now is the individual spending bills. There's a dozen of them that they have to get through. And as we've talked about, Congress has not approved those dozen budget bills on time by September 30, at the end of the fiscal year, since 1996 was the time the Republicans did it. 1994 was the time the Democrats did it. And I think we've done it five times in the last 45 years, if I remember correctly. So it's it's usually they don't get it done on time. But that's the next step. Now, the trouble there is, Herman, that uh, I think that GOP leaders probably aren't sure that they can get all 12 bills through, when not even question of on time, without maybe adding in a little money. Uh, there's a lot of Republicans that feel like more money needs to be spent on defense and uh, you know the military. So we'll have to see what happens on that uh, coming up in the next few months. But yes, in the next couple of months, May, June, July, that is usually the big focus on the floor of the House and Senate are the appropriations bills. Uh, But in recent years, both the House and Senate have only done a few of them and then thrown up their hands, gone home for a long summer break, and then approved a stopgap budget to keep the government running. Now, do those 12 start out in a committee before they go to the floor of the full House? House Appropriations Committee uh, does all that legwork early on. On all uh, 12? Yep, and then the Senate Appropriations Committee, the same, and they start, you know, churning them out. In fact, I would say right now, the House Appropriations Committee, they may have already worked through three or four of them. They passed the Energy and Water Bill, Military and VA, Legislative Branch, uh, Transportation, Housing, Urban Development's been released. So, yeah, they're already, you know, we've got several bills that have already moved uh, through the committee. Two have already been approved in the House of Representatives, the Energy and Water Bill and the, uh, the, the MILCON VA, Military Construction and Veterans Affairs Bill, was passed last week in the House as well. So they're starting their work early, but it doesn't mean that they're actually going to be able to figure it all out and get it all done and get those bills through the U.S. Senate. Now, what happens if they get them all passed and get them over to the Senate, and by some miracle the Senate passes it, (laughs) 
you're saying that the president doesn't have to sign it? No, no, no. That's the it? budget resolution. These individual spending bills, yes, they have to go down to the White House and be signed. And at this I point see. in time, uh, the, the two bills that made it, uh, that were approved last week by the House, both of them were approved with a veto threat lodged against them because the president obviously wants to spend more money on domestic items and wants to do away with budget sequestration and all of that. So, I, you know, I don't know how many the Senate's actually going to get to this year. The Senate has... I can't remember the last time we did a real appropriations bill on the floor of the U.N. Senate in terms of detail. It might be 2009, so we'll see whether or not they really get to it now that there's been a change in leadership with the GOP in charge. Gotcha. But yes, they used to be, Herman, those bills in the dead of summer were, I mean, I remember as a younger reporter staying here night after night after night, late nights in the House and in the Senate in June and July and into early August and then after Labor Day and the, the Congress working on those bills to get them done. We'd have great debates that would pop up suddenly on big issues because of amendments that would come up. And now in the last, I don't know, 10, 12 years, we just haven't done that anymore. We yeah. rarely do that anymore. You didn't have anything to start with. Uh, now no, you do. Well, well, listen, the Republicans quit doing the bills, too, when they were in charge back in the Bush administration. I think in 2006, when they lost control, the House passed two of the 12 bills that year. So what it came down to was each party started getting more worried about what was going to happen politically, and the whole budget process just sort of grinded to a halt. Let's talk about the Republican presidential um, candidates up in Iowa. Who is it that's attacking Mike Huckabee already? <laughs> well, in Iowa and in South Carolina, the Club for Growth has already uh, paid out $100,000 to run ads against Mike Huckabee. Basically, Why? They say that he's basically a big spender and likes to raise taxes. They go back to his time as uh, the governor of Arkansas, and this came up in 2008 and dogged uh, Huckabee here and there once he sort of jumped up after Iowa with people saying that, uh, that his record was not one of uh, what uh, more conservative Republicans would like, that he raised taxes and did more, and I, you know, I assume that's going to come back again. It's interesting, we had a new poll that just came out today from Quinnipiac University, which does a lot of polling in the early states. This is not nationally, but Iowa. I would urge everybody, don't pay attention to the national polls. Watch the individual states. The latest one here shows uh, Scott Walker leading in Iowa at 21%, Rubio and Rand Paul at 13 uh, Ted Cruz at 12, Huckabee at 11, Ben Carson at 7, and boy, Jeb Bush way down at 5%. And I do think that's something to remember. Jeb Bush is going to have some struggles in Iowa, and it wouldn't surprise me along the line if there are people talking about openly, should he even go into Iowa and, and use a lot of effort or focus more on New Hampshire and some of the later contests in 2016. Jeb Bush just simply not seen as the answer in Iowa, which, you know, it's a more conservative electorate that will go to caucus for the Republicans in Iowa and something to watch there. So Scott Walker won, Paul and Rubio tied second with Cruz and Huckabee close behind. Well, I think that with the Jeb Bush situation, that is interesting compared to what some of the national polls Yeah, the national polls show him way up there, right? They show him way up there with a, with a lead. But in Iowa, one, is retail politics. You have to show up. Uh, you can go all the way back to Rudy Giuliani when he tried that tactic, and it didn't work, you know, way back when. But the other thing is, uh, Jeb Bush is outspoken in favor of Common Core. And I can tell you that the majority of the people in Iowa do not like Common Core. You know, it's interesting. Last week, I listened to Bush was here in D.C., and I listened in on his speech. He was before the National Re uh, Gathering of the National Review. And I thought... Uh, I was I was interested to see how he was going to deal with Common Core and with immigration. 
And I thought he did it in a very good, a very calm way. He just laid out, you know, okay, well, I believe this. I know you believe that. We just differ on that. But he kept saying, you know, we, we agree on so many other things. And it sounded to me like he is very sure-footed. It's not like he was jumping around and dodging and darting and trying not to talk about the differences inside the party. So he certainly uh, doesn't seem to be worried about that. But obviously for a lot of voters who look at him, uh, that's just not what they're looking for right now. I would agree. I would agree. Iowa is a peculiar state, to say the least. Yes. In terms of... Um, the, uh, the makeup of the electorate is yeah. a little different than other states. And then the whole caucus thing is just a, a real different kind of thing for Iowa. But, you know, it's, uh, and I think you would uh, acknowledge this, Herman, when you first started and you did your first, well, let's plunge into this diner and go meet some people or go to somebody's house, it didn't feel right. It probably felt a little odd at first. But then yeah. once you get into the whole swing of things, you understand it and you see why Iowa and New Hampshire jump up there as much as they do. And the other thing about Iowa that I experienced is that, look, when I had, when I spoke at a restaurant at an event, and if we got a hundred people there, the people from Iowa were going, ooh and ah, what a big crowd you have. Yeah. You don't get thousand people attending. I mean, they expect you to go to all of these little hot spots, organizations, etc. You may have 50 or less than 100 people at them, but that's why they call it retail politics. Yeah, it really is. And that's the fun of it as a reporter covering those very, very small events. It's much different than covering a big speech to hundreds and hundreds of cheering people. Exactly. One thing we should talk about before we go is speaking of uh, the, the race for the White House, Hillary Clinton yesterday on immigration, not only defending uh, the Obama executive actions on immigration, but vowing to go even further. Remember, the, the, what the president wants to do is shield about four to five million people who are now in the U.S. illegally, prevent them from being deported. Hillary Clinton said, yeah, I'll take that and I'll, I'll raise you and protect even more people and keep them from being deported as well. So yesterday in her stop in Vegas, she certainly drew a very bright line between her and the Republican field on the issue of immigration. I think it was just step one, really, of the Democrats trying to draw the Republicans in to a big fight over immigration and illegal immigration, because I, I do believe that Democrats truly in their hearts believe that if they can have a battle over immigration day after day after day and over and over, that they think that that will only benefit them for 2016. I think you're absolutely right. They are trying to draw them in. And uh, you know she hadn't said anything about the economy yet. I mean, it's early yet. She picked immigration first because, as you know, didn't she uh, outpoll Obama on immigration when she was running against? Well, him when the she first was time running, around? she uh, took a number of stances that sort of ran against what a lot of immigration activists wanted. For example, in 2008, she came out against the idea of driver's licenses for illegal immigrants, yeah. and it caused uh, there was a you know. I think there were some immigration activists who really weren't sure where Hillary Clinton would sort of stake out ground in this race. But yesterday, I tell you, there was no half measure. There was no, well, I'll do A, but I won't do B or C, but I might do D. There was none of that. She, she fully embraced the Obama executive actions and yep. then, like I said, tries to, tried to raise the ante on that to add in even more people. One other quick question, going back to the Club for Growth. Now, they are anti-Huckabee, but... Uh, 
or have they indicated who they are supporting? I don't think so. I mean, maybe I missed some of the stuff, but I would assume, you know, they would be for people who are very, very strict on in terms of spending and, and new programs and things like that. And I, I think it's what what it tells me more than anything is this, Herman. It's a reminder. We're going to have a lot of Republicans in this race, right? We're, yep. we're, we're not going to have them all stand up on the bench and say nice things about each other. Sooner nope. or later, we're going to get into some uh, tough back and forth, and I think this may only be just sort of the start of all that. So much for the Ronald Reagan's 11th Commandment. Yeah, well, the 11th Commandment always sounds great, you know, but I'm not but sure that really, realistically, it always no. works. I mean, you remember a couple of times, everything was fine with your candidacy until when? Until you started doing really well, and then they came after you, right? I still have some of those scars in my yeah. back. Yeah. <laughs> Well, yeah. thanks a lot, Jamie. See you tomorrow, Herman. You're listening to the Herman Cain Show. Herman Cain. Herman Cain is in the solutions business. Credible, experienced, engaging. He's close to the people. He's inspirational. He is a realist. Solutions for a better America. Yes, the Republican presidential wannabes are going to fight it out. But when it's all over, everybody get on board. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.